law kills, but the spirit giveth life. And so we want to learn as much as we possibly can about life in the spirit and, and what should we do and how should we live. And so the church here, we see going into Acts chapter three here this morning, they're continuing daily. It says from house to house, they're, they're breaking bread. They're, they're praising God together and they're, they're growing in favor, not just with God, but with the world around them. And people were being saved. They were being added to the church and and what a beautiful picture that is. And so in Acts chapter three, we find ourselves this morning seeing the very first miracle that was accomplished through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. And like I said, it really brought this to my own heart and mind. And I asked you this morning, and hopefully you were able to pray about it, but I have my notes here. It, it begs the, the question, what is your greatest need today? And we read this story here and I thought, how would you answer that? And you already have, but how would you answer what is your greatest need today? Uh, because the lame man that we read about here in Acts chapter three, he probably thought that his greatest need was money. That's why he was begging for money. After all, he was lame in his feet, right? He was unable to work. And so in his way of thinking, money was the cure. Money was what would help him to survive. And like I said, some of us, we would identify in our own lives. Our greatest need today is money. If we just had money, if we just had a job or we got a raise or we had help paying our debt, our bills, I saw credit card debt was over $1 trillion it just for the first time ever in the United States. People are going, yes, student loans being forgiven. It's like, can they just forgive our credit card debt too and help everybody? But maybe your need is financial and you look at that way. And like I said, some of us would look at our needs. Our greatest need today is relationships. You need restoration. It's a marriage with, like I said, with your kids or whatever it might be, those needs are, they're real relational needs. Some of us would advise our greatest need is probably time today. You go, man, I just wish I had more time. There's so much to do. So little time to do it. My schedule, you've got kids, you've got sports activities, you've got church, you've got all these things, and there's just not enough time. And so we'd say time. So my question is, do you think God cares about all those things? Huh? He does. He cares about you. Jesus made it as an invitation. He said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he said, come unto me. He said, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. He said, I'll give you rest. He said, my burden in life, it's, it's not heavy. It says, my burden is easy. He said, my yoke is light. So he's always reminding us, you know, that he, he cares and that he's approachable, that we can come to him. And oftentimes he's the very last person that we go to. And I, and that would be, you know, we could look at that in our own lives and you go, well, really, how much time do I spend in prayer? Cause that's what prayer is. Prayer is what I'm talking to God. I'm communing with God. I'm asking God to help me in my life. I'm attuning myself with his will and his purposes. And like this lame man in the story here this morning, we probably all have a tendency to be short-sighted. Like I said, he thought that his greatest need was money. And yet when Jesus came to this earth, um, Jesus said, and I've been sharing this with you the last couple of weeks from John 10, 10, it says the thief comes to what? To steal and to kill and destroy. He said, but I've come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. And I love that word. It's in the Greek language. It's Zoe, Z-O-E. And, it, and it's a straight line. It means life with no beginning and no end. It's just eternal. And, and it's just trying to wrap your mind. And that's the life that God wants for us, abundant life. I remember my favorite Christmas card. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but for a number of years, it was probably one of the most popular Christmas cards. And it said this, it said, 
If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If your greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a savior. And that's really what the message of Acts chapter 3 really is all about, that God knows what your greatest need is, and unfortunately most of us focus on what our lesser needs are today. And so as I, I look at this, I'm going to read this to you this morning. You might not know this translation, but I'm reading it from the NLMNOP translation. And it says this, first verse one says, Peter and John went to the temple over one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached a temple, it says a man lame from both feet was being carried in. Each day he was put inside the temple gate the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. And Peter said, how much do you need? And the lame man said, whatever you have, whatever you've got on you would be just fine. I just need to get something to eat. And Peter had no money on him. So he looked to John, who reached into his leather money bag, and he pulled out a couple of shekels and a few widow's mites, which would be worth about a couple of bucks. The lame man responded, <laughs> something's better than nothing. Peter smiled, and John handed the man the money, and they said to him, all we ask is you don't go buy beer with this money. Only buy something to eat. The lame man agreed, and he said, thank you, and Peter and John went on about their day. Peter and John felt good about themselves on the way to prayer, but no one else even noticed what they had done. Okay, I made that translation up. I just want you to know that's not, that's not a real translation. But the reason I did that was because when I read this and then I look at and I talk to people about how they live their lives every day, most people live in their lives like how I just read it. Instead of asking God to lead us and to guide us, I'm sorry, Rich, uh, that, that we're praying about, Lord, who should I minister to? Because I, I've shared with you, God hasn't called you to minister to everybody. He's given us his Holy Spirit for a very important reason. And I want to share this as we go along here. But it, it, I understand that like people will say, well, I just saw that person in need. And so I, I reached out to him to help him. And I go, so what did you tell him? What did you do? And we won't get into this today, but in each chapter, what you're going to see, every time that a miracle was done, every time somebody was helped, they didn't, the apostles didn't draw the attention to themselves like we see in our world today. If somebody, literally, you healed a man, say if somebody today came to Calvary Chapel and, and I healed that, that person, you'd have the news coming down here, you'd have everybody and their brother showing up and go, how did you do it? How did it come about? And those would be great opportunities to do exactly what Peter and John did, where they said, it's not by human power. It's not because we're somebody. It's not because we're holier than thou. It's not because of anything other than the power of God's spirit working in and through our lives. And then go on to do what at that moment is to preach the gospel, is to share the word of God and believe in the power of God. But I listen to people. I listen to some of you and you, I go, hey, so how did it go? I, I just gave him some money. And I said, did you share Jesus with him? He said, no, they just, I was in a hurry. And I'm like, then what did you do? You did it, and, I'm gonna, and I don't want to offend you, but it probably will offend you, and I'm okay with that because really it's God offending you. 
is that really what you wanted was to feel good about yourself. And, and, I, and I thought this today, I was thinking, why don't, think about this, in Acts chapter 3 here, where was the lame man sitting? It said he was seated at the gate beautiful. There's 13 gates that led into the temple area, right? This particular gate, many commentators believe, is the eastern gate. To think of how beautiful it had been, 75 feet tall, that it had, it was made of brass and, and gold. And it was just, it was one of those gates that you looked at and you just went, wow. Obviously, because it, it costs so much, this guy who's crippled has been crippled his whole life. We will see in Acts chapter 4, he's over 40 years old. So I want you to think about something. If he's over 40 years old and he sat at that gate his whole life, did Jesus walk past him? What would you say? By show of hands, how many would you raise your hand and you go, I think Jesus walked past him. He did. Many times. Why didn't he heal him? What did Jesus say? And he answers it. He says, I only do that which I see my father doing, right? And I only do that which my father says to do. Jesus, though he's God, is living in subjection to what? The Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that should be freeing up to all of us because today, many of us, you'll go drive past somebody, oh, I feel all guilty, I should have stopped, I should have. Why? Did God tell you to stop? If God told you to stop, then yes, you should feel guilty. But just because you see somebody that's homeless, isn't that the problem with our country today? Look at the southern border. How many millions of people have come across the southern border because people without the Holy Spirit are going, we just have a responsibility. And you go, in the truest sense, you go, are we helping anybody? No, we're not helping them at all. They had a house that they lived in, the country they lived in. They might have been in poverty, but they're in poverty in the United States of America. They're living on the street. They're living in hellish conditions. And you go, that's the responsibility of the church. And you go, it could be, if that's what God called us to do. Jesus said something that would be very offensive. He said, the poor you'll have with you always. He said, but me for only a short time. And so you think about, here this lame guy sitting outside the temple. And I was thinking today, I was thinking, why don't the homeless people come sit outside our church? Why aren't they sitting outside the church? Why aren't they just sitting right here at Calvary Chapel and every other church in Bakersfield? Because, see, there was something that this lame guy knew about the Jews, that they gave alms, that they gave offerings, that they helped the poor, right? They knew that the Jewish people had that responsibility. And so they went, hey, if there's good Jews going to the temple, there's a good chance that they're going to what? They're going to help me, right? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So he's sitting there and he's waiting for somebody to come. And I'm thinking, why don't people do that today? There's a few reasons. One is the illiteracy to the Bible, that we're growing up in a, in a country that knows nothing about the Word of God. Because if they were smart, what they would do is they would park at churches. I'm serious. Because there'd be people that would be gullible every single Sunday that would just come in and go, here, because we want to feel good when we come to worship, right? I want to feel good. You want to feel good. And so you go, here, here, here's a guy that's just going, hey, let me help you feel good. You guys remember George? How many remember George? He used to be in our church for a long time. I sat with George one day and I said, hey, George, I said, he's, he's incarcerated right now. And not because really he did anything wrong. It's because they finally, they figured out this guy needs help. And, and when he's on the street, he almost gets killed. So they, they doing him a favor, they put him behind bars where he can get medical attention and he does something to get arrested. So they just 
take advantage of it because they care for it. They're trying to care for him. He's, he's, he's a good kid. Um, just unfortunately had a terrible upbringing, has no discipline in his life and stuff. And so I'm sitting with him, I go, George, I go, let me ask you, I go, how much do you make a day? And he goes, it's not very good anymore. He goes, you know, when I was doing real good, he goes, I was making about 160 a day. I go, what? And he goes, yeah, I'd make 160 in cash. And he goes, and then people would buy me food. He goes, I had this two ladies. He goes, I have a circuit like I do. I feel like he's a, he's an evangelist, right? He goes, but he has these stores that he'd go to. And he goes, and I sit out there and he goes, and the same lady, there's one store. And he goes, and he knew her name and everything. And she goes, she comes and she goes, and she knows what I want. He goes, she just goes in the store now and she buys me all the stuff that he comes out with grocery bags and gives it to me. And this guy's going, wow. And so he's like, why should I get up you know, out of this wheelchair? Why should I not be lame? Because as long as I stay lame, guess what? People will care for me. And so he's got a, a circuit going. And I'm thinking, wow, why don't people do that? Then I think about how the church is known in the world today. And I read this years ago when I was in the beverage industry. I, I worked with restaurants. That's part of what I did. I worked in food service for Pepsi-Cola. And I saw this article and it just really spoke to me because of being a Christian and then working with restaurants. And it was talking about waiters and waitresses. And it said that waiters and waitresses, they hate churchgoers. They didn't say Christians. They said churchgoers. And they said, and you know why they hate them? Why would you think? Go ahead and we'll, they're, they're cheap. Somebody say that? <laughs> yeah, they're cheap. That was the first thing. And they do what? They leave you a track instead of a, yeah, it's trick or treat. Yeah, no, they'll do, they, they'll go to share the gospel with you and they'll sit at the table. This was the third thing. They'd sit at the table for hours, which in the restaurant industry, you need turns obviously, right? So the faster you, the people eat at your table, the next table can come in and then they can tip. They can tip because a lot of what they live on are tips. And they go, and churchgoers are the worst tippers. As they go, they are the worst tippers. So that they go, they don't care. They're just takers. They're, they, they don't care about the people. They don't tip at all. And so it, it always just stuck out to me. And so when I see this, I'm thinking this lame guy, though he's been there for 40 years, he's pretty smart. Okay. He's not a dummy. He knows where to go. And obviously he's 40 years old, right? And his needs have been met. That's the amazing thing outside the temple here, but look in verse one, it says, and this is from the NLT. Okay. So now we'll, we'll let's yeah, I'll trick you. Yeah. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And what I love about this, there's the nine, the noon and the three. So they have the sacrificial service, right? And doesn't say anything about Peter and John going to the sacrifice because that for them would have been idolatry, right? It's like the Catholic church practicing communion today to think that it's co-substantiation that you think that the, they're literally believe that when the priest prays over the bread and the cup, that it becomes the literal body of Christ and the, the blood of Christ. Peter and John, knowing the writer of Hebrews saying that Jesus, the high priest once and for all went beyond the veil, right? He never dies again. Okay. And for them, they weren't going to take part in the sacrifice, but they still obviously understood the power of prayer the need for prayer. Remember, they were the ones that went to Jesus and they didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to multiply the bread and the loaves and teach us how to do miracles, teach us how to heal people. They, they could have asked Jesus for that, but they said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
because they knew that's where his power came from, in his relationship to the Father. That God would teach me and you that's where our power comes from, that we wouldn't lean on our own understanding, that we wouldn't trust ourselves, but that we would look to God. And so they went there uh, praying, and they were there for that, that prayer service. I like what G. Campbell Morgan writes. He says, Peter and John were not going to the temple at the hour of sacrifice, but the hour of prayer that followed the afternoon sacrifice, they realized that the sacrificial system was fulfilled in the perfect sacrifice Jesus offered on the cross. That was G. Campbell Morgan. I like what it says, the 3 p.m. or 9, 9 o'clock hour, ninth hour, it says perhaps the time of day even then held special significance for them because it was the hour which Jesus himself had cried out from the cross, it is finished, John 1930. And I love that. You get different people's perspective. I don't know if that had any play, but I love the thought of that, that even in the afternoon praying at 3 p.m. for them, that they go, this was the time that Jesus gave his life for us. And what a beautiful thing. Like I said, you look at this particular chapter and you see this miracle and again you can just easily gloss over it and go okay it's about him but then how do we personalize it in our own lives and i love how peter and john were focused on the lord i've been sharing this with you that it's so easy and i don't know about you but i can get into my day and not be attuned to what god desires to do there's just so many things that go on but our lives are no different than peter and john but what i understand about them and, and think about this Think about what are you doing at 3 p.m. in the afternoon on most days? What do you do at 3 p.m.? Are you praying at 3 p.m.? So these disciplines are very good things to think that you have something to look forward to that do what? They snap us back into perspective, you might say. So if you have that as a practice in your life, you go, it's not religion that you go, no, but I set aside three o'clock every afternoon. And I go, man, I, th I think that's really powerful. I think it's profound because, like I said, I think it's easy. People go, oh, I started the day, and I, I pray with people every week that go, man, Pastor Mike, I started my day so well. I got up this morning, I prayed, I did my devotionals, and then I got into the day, and then somebody got on my case. Someone cut me off on a white GMC. I think it was you on the road. And it was like, I harbored ill in my heart all day long. And then you go, what would happen if at 3 p.m. that you went, you know what, I'm going to pray again, or at noon, and, or take it even deeper than that. You think about what is going to take place here. It's not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Verses two and three goes on. It says, and they approached the temple and the lame man from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when Peter and John saw him, they were about to enter. He asked them for some money. Like I said, maybe he knew who Peter and John were. Like I said, he he was going, hey, there's some church guys. There, let's reach out. Let's reach out to them. And like I said, I think he knew the best place that there was to reach out and look for help. And I still think it's the best way. I just came back from Maui and FEMA's there. There's OSHA's there. There's all kinds of government agencies and they're playing their part. But what I heard overwhelmingly from the people was they go, man, there was just people that showed up in cars. People just showed up in cars and they were bringing us water. They were bringing us food. They were bringing us clothes. They cried with us. They held us. They listened to us and listening to all these people going that that's what we do as the church. They respond and does FEMA have a place? Absolutely. And they do a good job once they're up and going, but it's just such a big machine. It takes a while for it to get going. 
but the church can respond, what, immediately. And the people saw that. And it's that, in a sense, earning the right to be heard. I didn't find it. And I laughed at myself as I was thinking about this, because what were we doing in our group? We got together before we went and we were praying and we were praying while we were there. And we were asking the Lord to help us not to be about our business, but to be about your business and give us your eyes and your ears, help us to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. So we're asking God to do all these things. So, and it's somewhat embarrassing because in the same way, Peter and John, what are they doing? It's self-evident here when you read it, they're men of prayer. They devote their lives to prayer. Obviously they devoted their lives to God's word because we see that when Peter begins to preach, he doesn't go, you know, hey, I think you should do this or this or this. He's laying out the word of God. So obviously he's spending great quantities of time studying God's word for the purpose of being able to share God's word with other people. So it's not just that I go, oh, I like to read it for myself. It's no, I study it for other people. And here we are, like I said, in, in Maui, and God just opened up door after door. And so as I'm sitting back after I got home and I'm studying Acts and God's, what do you think happens when you devote your day to me, the whole day, everything? You're on this missions trip, but that's what happens. You're praying, you're seeking me, because God loves people. God cares about people. And, and if you're wanting to be about his business, he's more than happy to help you be about his business. And he's given you all the tools that are necessary, not only the word of God, but he's given you the power and the strength to do it. But here's what's interesting. The disciples previously, while Jesus was alive, remember Jesus sent them out and they came back all beat up and they're like going, Jesus, what happened? <laughs> we went out there and we were trying to minister to people. And I love Jesus' response. He didn't make a mistake, but when you read it, it's like Jesus forgot something, right? But God doesn't forget anything. But they come back and they go, why didn't, why couldn't we cast out demons? And what did Jesus say? He said, Oh, that only happens by what? Prayer and what? Fasting, right? Prayer and fasting, that your heart's prepared, that your body's prepared. So what that means is what I find with people, and this is the thing about, like I said, responding to the church, we see need all the time. You're driving down the road, you see somebody that's in need, and you go, hey, I think I'm going to give them a couple bucks. And you don't know if they're going to stick a needle in their arm and you just contributed to their death, which happens all the time. I guarantee you there's a lot of people that are dead today because Christians just went and handed them money. And you go, and it's so sad. Weren't led of the Holy Spirit, because like I said, it's very evident in Scripture, Jesus didn't heal everybody. When he went to the pool of Bethesda, do you think Jesus went to that pool often? And you go, but why was that lame guy still there? Why was the cripple still there at the pool of Bethesda? Jesus hadn't healed him until that particular day, because timing is everything with God. The will of God is everything with God. And remember the guy who's born blind, right? And even the disciples come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, why is the guy blind? Is it the sin of his parents or is his sin? Either or. And Jesus goes, maybe there's something bigger. Maybe it was that God could be glorified, right? But see, that's seeing things through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's seeing it through God's word. That's not just going, oh, there's human need. Because like I said, look at the border. The border... The southern border of the United States is being overrun, and it's not because people don't have good intentions, but that old saying is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not that it's spirit-led, and there's a difference. So people go, it says in the Bible, we're supposed to do this, and you go, as God leads us. What do we pray? What should we be praying? Why the Lord's Prayer is so important? Not my will, but thine be done. On earth as what? As it is in heaven. I've asked this many times ago, when was the last time you got a glimpse of what was going on in heaven? 
You know, it's so easy. Just like I said, God's given us, and we say it, he's given us common sense. And I say this all the time. Common sense is not as common as you might think the things, the things that we do. But he says, Peter says to them there in verse five, he says, the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting money. See, he knew what his need was. He thought, hey, these guys might have some money. They're, after all, they're, he probably knew that they were apostles and that they just remember what happened in the previous chapter. It says the church did what? They put all their stuff together and they distributed as what? Each one had need, right? That guy's pretty smart. So he's going, look, hey, they just, so maybe, like I said, the best time would be right after church, come to the church and, hey, this would be the time because this is where we, we've given and we've shared it. And now we're, hey, is it our time? And look what Peter says in verse six. He says, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold. Can you imagine the guy at that point? Great, great. Should have known Peter. He says, but I'll give you what I have. And I love this. He says, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. At first, his first thought had to be disappointment. What do you mean? I'm hungry. I need money. And all you want to do, and, and I, like I said, I talk to believers, and this would trip you up right here because instead of talking religion, you go, what are you doing preaching to them? Hey, ask anybody, any funeral I do. I mean, I've had people through the years, they go, I've read articles and stories. The last thing you should do at a funeral is to preach the gospel. That is like the dumbest answer you could give. That is like fishing at a fish hatchery. You go, because why? Because everybody's thinking about death in that moment. So to be able to tell them how to experience the free gift of God, that's a lie from the pit. Oh no, it's just, it's about human need. And you go, that's the same thing would be here. Don't preach to him. Just give him some money, right? Because that's what he asked for money. And they, he thought that was his need. But what we need to understand and what you need to understand today is giving people money is not their greatest need, as much as it might be. Whatever you prayed about today, I can tell you, if it wasn't about knowing Jesus and growing closer to him, that wasn't your greatest need. It was your greatest distraction is what you have in front of you today. Because what you need is exactly what God will give you. Again, we walk through this. He's going, you dads being evil compared to God, you give good stuff to your kids. He goes, how much more does the heavenly father give? He's going to meet your needs. He's going to give you whatever you have need of. I love Ephesians 3.20. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his ministry, power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Isn't that the God that we serve? He does it what? Some of your translation says exceedingly above, even what you can think or ask. Man, that's why James, when he says, you have not because you ask not, right? Ask, ask God. There's not just power. We talk about because of social media, they go, hey, you want to be a social influencer? What's better than being a social influencer? Is someone with authority. And guess what? If you're in Christ Jesus' state, you have authority over what? Over the very demons of hell, over dark. You have something that's so much greater than the world will strive to have for maybe a moment in time. And he's going, but he said, Peter said, silver and gold, I got nothing. You don't have to have money to make an impact in this world. What you have to have is Jesus. And he goes, silver and gold, I've got not. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, that name above all names, as Paul would write, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow 
every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. There is no greater name in all this earth. And we can be so ashamed and so bashful Boy, to use the name of Jesus. Now, we're going to be ashamed one day when we stand before him. We see who he is as King of kings and Lord of lords. To back down from that, I didn't want to preach. I've heard you. I hear people. So my, I'm not, God hasn't called me to preach. Yes, he has. If you're saved, he's called you to preach. Because you look at this story, watch how it unfolds here. It's amazing. I gotta, I'm going to skip over a lot of this. I was going to read some of you from John Corson's commentary. Maybe I'll come back to it if I can. But look in verse 7, 8 there. It says, then Peter, and you think about what Luke is sharing here with us. And it says, and all the people saw that he was walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar and they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And what I love about this is I want you to think about this. This guy's healed, okay? He gets healed after 40 years, 40 years of being lame. And Luke, if you've studied this, technically speaking, he's writing like a doctor. He's going, this guy's ankles weren't even connected. They were just like hanging there. They were just flimsy. And he's using medical terminology that's not used anywhere else in scripture. And he's laying out this detail. And he goes, and then Peter grabs him by the hand, right? Where's the miracle take place? They both had to exercise faith, right? The miracles when they touched, the man reaches out, Peter reaches out. And in the midst of that, God does a miraculous thing. And then what happens? It says immediately he, he jumps to his feet, right? And he's still holding on to Peter. Now, is he holding on because maybe he's not sure if he's going to fall down? Or is he going, no, I'm holding on to you because just like Mary at the garden, right? At the empty tomb. And here, when she recognizes Rabbi and she recognizes it's Jesus, says he falls down to his ankles, right? And he goes, Mary, I have not yet ascended to my father. You got to let go. <laughs> and it's like that, that this lame man's going, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. But the beauty of this church is the place that God healed that man became the point of his testimony. And the key, you think about the miracle. What is a miracle? See, miracles get a bad rap because we make miracles like they're man-made. They're not. A miracle is at the end of what a human being could do. We have natural laws, but a miracle is what supersedes a natural law. It's impossible, virtually impossible for what to happen when God does it. And so they look at this and it says, and they're astonished. And why God does miracles then and why God does miracles today is never to elevate. And this is what's sad because you see this, we go, we talk about people in ministry, right? They go, oh, they have the, the healing ministry, right? They go around and they do all this. And what do they do? They've got a multi-billion dollar prayer ministry and they're raking in millions of dollars and you're reading all about them. But Peter's a great reminder. Peter just healed a guy that was lame. And they said, man, how did this happen? And Peter could have stopped right there and went, you know what? This is my chance right now. Peter's miracle ministry and started it and just wrote a book and done his own thing. And you go, but what did he do immediately? He deflected everything. See, he used the opportunities in life. So my point is when you come in contact with people and you go, I believe that God has led me to you to talk with you or to share with you. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. I'm talking to the guy who wanted to argue with me about the existence of God. And I go, it's really simple. I go, I can prove to you that God exists. And he goes, why is that? 
And I go, what I'm about to tell you, I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. He goes, oh, I've heard that before. I go, not for me, you haven't. You know, and, and so we're talking and he's, I go, well, think about it. I go, the Bible said, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, begins, he said, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I said, I asked him, I said, so where are we at today? And he goes, I told you, and he was Bakersfield. And I go, okay, from my reading of the Bible, I go, that would be the uttermost parts of the world. I go, some ways people look at it as the guttermost parts of the world, but we'll just stick with uttermost parts of the world today, okay? And I go, and God led me to you. And this is where it becomes a beautiful thing, because he can go, oh, I don't believe that. And I go, I was praying, okay? I go, there's a whole bunch of people around here, okay? I could even go, I didn't really want to share with you, to be honest with you. You could go that route if you wanted to prove the point. I go, but I'm being obedient to what God called me to do. I prayed, and he led me to you. There's a whole bunch of people around here that I'm not talking to, but I'm talking to you. And then here's the crossover. As you go, and you know why? Because God loves you. He cares about you. He doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But your sins, the things that you're doing right now, are separating you from God. But I want you to know that he loves you so much, he'll forgive you if you'll turn to him. And all of a sudden you see people, their hearts soften. And you go, whose heart softens? the person who God has been ministering to, the person who God has been prepping. Sometimes you'll hear Christians, they're just arguing with people. You, there's nothing in Scripture that says you're to argue with anybody. It says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you to all who ask. I just spent a week in Maui where almost every single person that I had the pleasure of sharing with asked me. I did not have to tell anybody anything. And I had to go back and I thought about that and I go, why? I go, because we're praying, because you're praying for me. I was praying for me. The group was praying. God was praying. You go, prayer is a powerful thing. And God goes before us. And we don't have to beat a drum then. We don't have to beat our heads against the wall. You don't have to give away your income to people to feel better about yourself. It would be much better if you kept your money in your pocket and you go, you know what? I stopped today. Silver and gold, I do not have. Even though that's what they're saying, well, that's my need. You go, no, what God recognized, they had a greater need. God recognized the greatest need. And the greatest need was, just as I read you the Christmas card, that he sent his son to die on a cross. And they at the moment might go, you know what? I don't need that. And you go, but it's seed that's being planted. It's seed that's being watered. And most of us didn't come to Jesus on the first attempt. Somebody was persistent, right? Somebody loved us. Multiple people loved us and they cared and they shared and they went about that. But it wasn't that it was the preaching, it was just the fact that they went about their life and they would tell us, hey, just like this lame man here in the book of Acts, they go, that day, I promise you, Peter and John had passed that guy numbers of times. But that day, God said, is the day. And why did God do it? He did it to glorify himself. You and I are gonna be blessed with opportunities today and all through this week to glorify God. It's just, and you can't do it in your flesh because this is what you'll do. And you'll know it right as soon as I say it. You go, I'm scared. I, I, you know, I don't want to say Jesus. Look what people say about, if you say Jesus in the workplace today, you go, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in the heart of the person who receives it? They have boldness. There's no fear because that comes from God. It's not rude. It's not abrasive. But it's, it's a confidence of 
and a boldness that comes with having a personal relationship with God that is, like Lamentation says, it's new every morning. And so read through this. Now we'll get into next week. We'll talk about what happens in that moment where, and the beauty of it is what happens as soon as that miracle takes place. Like I said, Peter capitalizes on the moment. So when you go and you give money to people and you pray or you do something for somebody is you bring them to a place where they understand what the word of God is saying. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Do you have that confidence that you tell somebody, hey, I'm an ambassador for Christ. What I'm doing today, I'm doing in the name of Jesus. I tell you, I found that it means a lot more to people when I'm standing before them and I'm going, hey, the reason that I stopped today is because God told me to stop. The reason I'm sharing with you today, the reason I'm giving this to you, the reason I'm buying this for you today is because God loves you. God cares about you. I don't care what your religious persuasion might be at that point. I'm telling you that means something because sometimes people just go, hey, thanks, I did this. And there's no compassion. There's no love. There's no care. There's no concern. That's not Jesus. And he wants to use us. But he's going, but before you do, the same thing that you know he told the apostles and the disciples there in the upper room, don't leave home without it. You don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit, but we better learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit and have his strength, his power. So that way we can look forward to all that the Lord's leading. So you can go into the day, you go, man, Lord, I'm excited about today. Do you see the difference in that? If you're praying in the morning, you go, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. And you're going to lead me and guide me today. So I'm going to believe where you lead me and guide me is going to be where you want me to be. Help me to listen to your voice. Help me to go to the people that you want me to share with, because he wants you to share every single day with somebody. I don't mean that you're going out preaching. It's like you have an opportunity every day of your life to touch somebody's life for the glory of God. That could be your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, your neighbors, strangers on the street. We have an unlimited supply and opportunity. Amen. May we take advantage of it. And as we receive communion this morning, we do in the name of Jesus. We do because of Jesus that everything points to him, the life that we have, the greatest miracle. You go, I've never had a miracle. You're a miracle. You are a miracle. How did you get saved? Was that natural? No, it was supernatural. The God of heaven spoke into your heart and your life, a miracle of God. So you can't say you don't have something to talk to people about. You go, you can go to him and go, hey, I'm a miracle. They go, how are you a miracle? <laughs> if you knew me, <laughs> that God, he saved me. He saved me. You go, wow, what a miracle. Amen. Something to celebrate, something to share. And that's what we have in communion today. So as the worship team comes out, and those of you that will pass out the elements, we'll pray. We'll pass these out. Enjoy just a moment with you and the Lord today. You came in with a need, but that was your lesser need. Your greatest need, my greatest need today is more of Jesus. Amen. More of Jesus. And guess what? He's here to give us more of him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to receive communion together and just use this time. Lord, just refresh us, restore us. If we need salvation to save us today. But Lord, thank you that you're in this place. Thank you that your spirit is here with us. Thank you that you are providing everything that we have need of today. And Lord, that you would even encourage us in this, that sometimes that we don't have things because in our pride, we're just afraid to ask. And so Lord, that you'd humble us, Lord, and you'd help us to learn to, as we're together, as the early church came together and it says, as they distributed as each one had need, that we would share the things that we have need of in this life. 
knowing that you love us. And Lord, we are your hands and your feet, uh, this side of heaven. And what a privilege it is. Help us to exercise those gifts this week, Lord, for your glory. Use this time in worship and communion. God, just to minister to us as we minister to you, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy this opportunity that we have. It's always a wonderful thing to get to receive communion together and be blessed as you do.